We're launching into a whole collection of uh, new conversations here. I've been looking forward to this particularly today in our second service. We have Launch Point, which is for those that are interested in digging deeper and understanding our church and understanding 360 and what, what our heartbeat is, et cetera. Pastor Todd is going to lead that, um, that charge for three weeks. It's, uh, I'm assuming, not too late to come on the second service. If you want to uh, show up, we'd, uh, we would love to have you. Um, we're going to be paralleling some of the, uh, the major topics. And so this is, this is a critical, I think, uh, a conversation for us to have and relevant to where we're living. I was doing some thinking this past week on the pursuit of success, uh, especially in a country that allows great opportunity for success. I've been in countries where that pursuit of success is really not ambitious because there's not a lot of latitude to even achieve success. But in a country that is, has freedom uh, to be able to pursue uh, uh, the President of the United States if you wanted to, you, could, you can pursue uh, being, uh, uh, having this sense of greatness in our country. Because of that open front territory and the culture in which we particularly live in this country, I believe that the ambition for uh, that pursuit of success is high. We see it on a national level. We want our country to be you know, strong. We see it at a collective level. We want our families to be strong. We want our families to be successful. We want our marriages to be successful. We want our jobs to be successful. We want our health to be successful. There are a lot of things that we pursue, a lot of areas in which we pursue this, this success. Over time, I do believe that after you've attempted to pursue success, you realize something important. We're going to land in, the, in the, uh, the story of Zacchaeus, which is found in Luke chapter 19. It's going to be a little while before we get there this morning, this being the first conversation of this collection, but we will actually be looking at Zacchaeus uh, every week for six weeks because there's, uh, there's an optical illusion with, uh, in the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, you, many of you remember Zacchaeus. If you, some of you grew up in church, some others didn't, but Zacchaeus was, we sang about Zacchaeus, and he was that wee little, little man. What a great legacy that is. Before we get to Zacchaeus, we're going to see the pursuit of a man that had every option available at his fingertips. His name was Solomon. And he teaches us something through the somewhat cynical book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is after many, 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 many years, decades of pursuing success. I want you to take a, a list, a look at this list of the things that he did. And I want you to think this as we're reading through this lengthy passage of the achievements and the pursuit of success. I want you to keep in mind the time frame of how many years these things would take to accomplish, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we begin in verse uh, 3, and Solomon is speaking in first person. So when you see the word I, he's speaking from his experience. He opens by saying, I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do 
under heaven during the few days of their lives. Before I get to the lengthy list, let's stop right there. He's looking for something worthwhile, probably starting when he was a young man. He said, man, I want my life to mean something. And you'll notice that I've, I've underscored the word to do. Because in his pursuit of meaning, something worthwhile, success, we would say, he said, then I'm going to do something in order to achieve something worthwhile. So worthwhile and doing were attached and connected in his mind. In order to be worthwhile, I've got to accomplish something. I've got to achieve something. As a very high driver on the disc profile, I relate to this story. He said, let me begin by the list. He said, I undertook great projects. Why? To find what was worthwhile. I understood, took uh, great projects. I built houses, plural, for myself, and planted vineyards, plural. I made gardens, plural, and parks, plural, and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Notice the plurality, and this is a lot. He didn't go out and back and plant a tree and have it one garden hose. He, this is a massive community. He said, I hired male and female servants and had other servants who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I made history. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers. The guy had a, a private choir. I, I was in uh, Rochester one time. I, I was in, uh, uh, touring the, uh, the Eastman house where Eastman lived. There was a pipe organ in Eastman's house. He hired a pipe organist every morning to play one hour of Bach while he read the newspaper, a smaller version of Solomon. He said, I have acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. We'll skip over that on Sunday morning. <laughs> and the delights of the heart of men, you betcha. I became greater by far, not even a close runner-up. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all of this, uh, this, my wisdom stayed with me, which was crazy. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired, and I refused my heart, no pleasure. Man, it must have been hard to find a Christmas gift for that guy. <laughs> what do you get the guy that has everything? Because he did. Then he said, my heart took delight in all my work. I love doing. I love getting this done. And this was the reward of all my labor. I've told you a million times, it's the small words in the Bible, yet... I've capitalized it, italicized it, and underlined it. We live a life of yet. We live a yet life. That means that we do all these things. We live in a country where there's boundless opportunities. We pursue it, we pursue it, we do, we do, we do. We've done, we've done, we've done. We're doing, doing, doing. And through all of that, there's this kind of eating thing inside of us that says yet. Because we know the yet feeling that when we get that thing that we can't wait to have, then why is it then six weeks later, like, uh, wish I hadn't gotten the 
Xphone point three. I'm experiencing that right now with my MacBook Pro. I can never catch Apple. As soon as I get it, the next version comes out two months after I got mine. And I don't know if you've ever, you know what I'm talking about. Just let me take a little pause here. It has a butterfly keyboard. I hate the butterfly keyboard because it breaks every three weeks. So I took it to the store again yesterday, and I said, is there any way you can just replace this since I'm coming in every three weeks since the T key sticks and the E key skips and the spaced key skips, and now my tab key is stuck. Is there any way you can just replace this whole keyboard? And she goes, oh, definitely. Let me show you the X-Pro <laughs> for $2,300. I'm like... I can deal with it. I never really like T's and E's anyway. I just skip right over them. <laughs> Yet when I surveyed all that my hands have done, this long list and probably longer, and what I had worked so hard to achieve, everything was meaningless chasing after the wind, and nothing was gained under the sun. You don't want to finish your life having done a lot of things, and yet there's this thing that's eating inside of you that's called yet. Yet, there's something that is not really clicking. So, my proposal to us this morning is this. In all of our pursuit for success, I don't think we're really at the end of the day, we would agree with Solomon. I don't think we're really looking for success. I think we're looking for significance. I think down deep, we want to leave this life instead of meaningless, we want to do something meaningful. We want to leave a, a lead a meaningful life and not a meaningless life. Show of hands, who wants to leave a meaningless life? <laughs> Almost got some of you. <laughs> we want to live a meaningful life. And so this is what we're about to embark on, a life of significance. There are some basic things that we as human beings need in order to have significance. From the brilliant mind of Tim Keller, he writes these words, the human heart is an idol factory. Wow. Wow. When I read that, I just like, wow, he is, he, this guy, if you don't know his work, is just a master of words. The human heart is an idol factory. That means we put things before God in a very simplistic definition, and our, our heart is manufacturing these things all the time. The human heart is an idol factory that takes good things, like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Isn't that brilliant? Don't you think that's brilliant? Good. Well, if you did, I might, on the next service, I just may put my name down there then. I just wanted to see how, if you thought it was as smart as I was. Our hearts deify these things as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance if we attain them. You see, what Solomon defined is that he is doing a lot but what he failed to learn is that it is being and not doing. It is being for others as being with God. It is this sense of something different than just doing. John Ortberg, another super smart thinker, says this, significance is about who we are before it is about what we do. 
You see? So now we're going we're gonna to take these three words and we're going to uh, couple them over the six weeks. So it'll be six weeks, three words. And these words, I think, are so simple and so defining of what we believe and, and experience as giving us significance. The words are going to surround, uh, the, the, we're going to surround around these three words, to see, to hear, and to know. And we begin, we begin by looking at those words in a receiving way. Seen, we want to be seen, we want to be heard, and we want to be known. These words came out of a staff meeting. Uh, Todd was, uh, we were talking about who we are and what we can expect from a, a Christian church culture experience. And I've just hung on to these words ever since. We begin uh, with seen because I'm going to propose to you that these are progressive. They're progressive. You have to be seen before you're heard. You have to be heard before you're known, okay? Now, here's, here's something interesting when we begin to look at this. Let's begin with our relationship with God. The reason that I think this is intrinsically important to us to be seen, to feel significance when we've done something that we want it to be acknowledged, that we want to be, we want to know that someone sees us, recognizes us, is because we were born that way. In other words, we were born seen. Before we were born, we were seen of God. Watch this, Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes, God, saw my unformed body. Before we took our first breath, we were seen by God. We got used to being seen by God even before we knew we were being seen by God. All the days were ordained before me, before, uh, were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is how God does it with us. This is why when we look at the story of Nathaniel, maybe some of you remember when he met Jesus, Jesus said, before you got here, I saw you sitting under the tree. I saw you before you got here. And it kind of blew his mind as it would anybody. But God sees us. We sang it this morning, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it, God is seeing us and he's moving and he's understanding who we are. This plays a super important role when you're experiencing some of the worst chapters of your life. This is where it counts. This is where you feel like and you, you're bold enough in private to ask the question within your soul, God, are you aware of what is going on? This was a week of, of us being my wife and I being around some people that were suffering and going through some difficult transition. One of them transitioning from this, this life into the next. And then when you're around that, that, that setting, when you're in that setting and people are grieving, it's just a natural emotion for some to say, do you even see me, God? Do you even see the pain here? Do you even see what's going on in our lives? Do you see sometimes, some of you may be in a job where it's so unfair. God, do you see this? I've asked you to get me out of this thing. Can you see what's happening? 
Sometimes it's in a, in a collective. When you look at the world, the, the classic question, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen in, in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Do you see this, God? And if each of us were honest, there are those times where we question, God, are you acknowledging this? And just one whisper sometimes from God, like, I see it. I see it. Okay, good, good, good. That's what we need. Do you remember Abraham? He was trying to have a child with Sarah, and they couldn't have a children, so they went to plan B, which was, well, stupid, and as most of our plan Bs are as human beings. And so he took his, his, his maidservant, as they would call them then, and, and had relations with her. Her name was Hagar. And then jealousy cropped up, of course, with Sarah, the wife. And it just became a mess, as most of our plan Bs turn out. When we say, hey, I'll take it into my own hands. I know you said I was going to have a, a child with Sarah, but hey, it's not happening in my human timeline. And apparently, God, you can't see it. So, well, we're going to move on to plan B. Then Hagar then and Sarah became, had this tension to the point that there was physical abuse. One of the most deepest, painful levels of human experience that my assumption would be that there's people sitting in this room who have experienced physical abuse, emotional abuse, relational abuse. It's in those moments that you ask yourself, does God see me? Is he even aware of this? Because when you don't feel seen, you feel very insignificant. When you don't feel seen, you feel very insignificant. So Hagar, she flees. She becomes a, a fugitive, away, running away from the abuse and Abraham was passive as he watched this abuse taking place. And sometimes that even makes it worse when people who could do something about it stand passively by and the question even deepens, God, do you see this unfairness? And she ran away and she was in the desert and she encountered God. And in the Old Testament, the names for God were profound they have profound meaning to us. Why? Because it reveals to us and confirms to us who God really is. Hagar says in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13, she goes, she gave the name to the Lord. She gave this name to the Lord, which was El Roy, which is R-O-I, El Roy. She gave El Roy the name to, to God. That's who she said, that's who I'm calling you now. I'm calling you El, which is Elohim, was the word for God, Roy, which means the God who sees me. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now, uh, I am now seen, but I have now seen the one who sees me. I've seen the God who sees me. And her life was different from that point on. You may be here, sitting here today, that some chapter, some page, some paragraph, some sentence of your life, you've wondered if God sees you, and maybe it's your current chapter. Here's what the Bible teaches us. God saw you before you were born. God never stopped seeing you 
God never, ever stopped looking at you. God acknowledges you. God loves you. God's pursuing you. His eyes are fixed on you. We're nearly 8 billion people on the planet. People say, I don't know how that can happen. That's because your God is too small. God is large enough and intimate enough to see every single soul and hear every single whisper. God is enormous to, to create galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies, and the creator is so much larger than the creation that he is so far beyond our comprehension that there is no reason to doubt the Elroy God, that the God that sees you, you can walk out of this building today and say, I know without a shadow of a doubt, standing on the truth of the word of God, that I have a God who sees me. It's important. It's important. The challenge is that God is invisible, isn't it? So God created this really amazing plan. He reflects himself through this element of creation. He reflects himself through the stars, the moon. We see it in Romans 1. We see it in Psalm 119 that it reflects the glory of God. But relationally, God reflects his, his perfect self through imperfection, us. We get to know the character of God when other people express the character of God. We sang this morning, by the way, that his ways are perfect. Remember singing those lyrics, that he's perfect in all his ways? So yesterday, I finally caved. I, I wear trifocals. Uh, I've worn glasses since I was nine years old. And uh, being the thrifty person that I am, I have had these glasses for, oh, I don't know, eight years, nine years, until there's no more angles left. I'm like, there's a spot right there. I can see it. So I started looking for glasses because my sight is imperfect. God's sight is not. So it makes this whole thing marvelous here. The, the Bible, this whole experience with God is that he sees perfectly through imperfect people. His perfect eyesight is exhibited by imperfect eyesight. What, what do I mean by that is it's not only important to know that we are seen by God but it needs to be exhibited by being seen by some other human being. Quite frankly, it's easier to believe when you see me than when God sees me. <laughs> Knowing that God sees me requires faith of the invisible and trust in the word of God. Having you see me, having you acknowledge me is important because I can touch it, feel it, experience it. Make sense? It's never enough just to say God loves you. I have to love you so that it reflects who God is. So that you're like, oh, I get it. I began to get it. This is why Jesus, one of the reasons Jesus came, he said, hey, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I'm over it. I'm trying to say, hey, I'm, I'm showing you mercy because God's merciful. I'm showing you, hey, there's certain things I'm really passionate about because God's, you know, the Father's passionate about that, and this is the way it works. It's important then for us to be seen 
not only by God, but tangibly demonstrated by each other. That's why it's so important that even though we love our privacy, even though we love our privacy, we still deep down will find significance when you see who I am. Why is it, if you're still maybe struggling with this truth, and you think, nah, I don't need anybody to acknowledge me. I don't need an attaboy. I don't need anyone to look in my direction. Then why is it that as kids, that we always say, look, Mom, look, Dad, when we've done something, so, you know, one of my boys has one of those wooden things that has a, like, almost the size of a, uh, like a uh, pool ball, you know, and it hangs off a string and whoop, you flip it up and try to catch it. And boy, they do things different now. And, blah, blah. and so it's always like, hey, Dad, look at this. He'd been working on a trick in his bedroom, right? Dad, look at this. And then, you know, he kind of chokes under pressure. And it's like, I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, hey, almost. And, you know, you're encouraging, almost got it. Yeah, looking good. You got a nice form. You're thinking of all these you know, things that you can say, right? And yet he's still missing it. And you can tell he's like, ah, daggone it. I did it 10 times, you know, in my bedroom. I know this from being a pianist in the past. Man, the, my best performances were when no one was looking. <laughs> then you come out on stage and like you're nervous and your hands are shaking. You feel like you're going to throw up and then let's try to play Beethoven now in front of 500 people. <laughs> and then... What happens is you give up. We're imperfect. I've looked 17 times and you didn't get it, so go back in the bedroom and practice. You turn your head, you're over in there chopping carrots or whatever you're doing, and he says, I got it. Did you see me? And then you lie. Yes. That was amazing. I love that. And we're like, well, that's when we're kids, not so fast. You've heard of this thing called Facebook? You know what we're saying? Look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm with. Look who I'm with. Look what I'm doing. I'm standing beside a, you know, the, uh, a fake statue of a movie star, but we'll make it look real, snap. That's where selfies come from. I just want you. It screams. I just want you to see me. Still not convinced? All right, check it out. Litmus test. You take a group photo, there's 50 of you. Who's the first person you're looking for? <laughs> Guilty as charged, right? You want to say, hey, was my shirt you know, unbuttoned? Anything in my teeth? That look okay? You know, did they take it from here up, my best part? You know, you're looking for that. Why? Because intrinsically, we know that God sees us and we can have faith in that, but I want you to see me. I want the significance of knowing I'm important. So Zacchaeus comes along, a pursuer of success. A pursuer of success. We get a little description of him. Now we land in Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho in Luke 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Let me tell you a little bit about Jericho at this time. It was a trade center. It was located between three cities, and there were products that were very popular that passed through, and they, these products needed to pass through customs. The head of customs happened to be this guy named Zacchaeus. Watch. Jesus entered Jer Jericho, was passing through. A man was there by the name 
of Zacchaeus. Some of Jesus' stories don't have names. The woman at the well, we don't know her name, but I bet Jesus did, but we don't. This story has a name. He was important. He was a real person. It's not a parable. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was not a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. That means he was in charge uh, of, of all the customs coming through and charging a certain percentage, and he was wealthy. We'll find out later that he got this wealth by cheating others. He was ambitious. There was a crowd that day, and they gathered and they heard that Jesus was coming. He were no, almost near the end of the story here in Luke 19. He had, had quite a following, and the, the city was packed that day because this guy named Jesus was coming through. But in verse 3, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. I believe that the Bible paints great pictures for us, and I'm going to propose to you that he wasn't only short in height, he was short in significance, that there was nobody looking his way because they hated him. Everybody knew he was a cheat. Everybody knew he was wealthier than they were. Everybody understood that this guy was after success at their expense, and nobody wanted to be around him. Not only was he short in, in, in height, but he was short in significance in the crowd. I believe that as our culture becomes more crowded, that with Facebook and social media and all the, you know, Instagram and blah, 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 that the more I read, the more I understand that we are in a crisis of not being seen. Do you know in Great Britain, they've now an official government position, Ministry of Loneliness? Ministry of Loneliness? I'll remind you that in 2016, the United States Surgeon General said that the greatest risk to human health was not heart disease, it's not cancer, it's aloneness. I've read about four books and about a million articles on it. It is a growing pandemic that people who are desperate and created to be seen feel invisible. I read an amazing book written by a, an MIT professor called Alone Together. And I experienced this standing in New York City in Grand Central Station. We were waiting for trains shoulder to shoulder with a herd, a sea of people. And we were all there together, but we were alone because every single one of us was on our cell phone. We were, we were gravitating and we were shoulder to shoulder and we were together alone. People are feeling invisible. This was... What, this is what happens in a crowd. So watch what happens. Remember, he's a wealthy man. So Zacchaeus ran ahead. Wealthy men didn't run in that day. It was undignified. You would never run in front of somebody. That's what the marvelous thing about the prodigal son story. The father ran. He was a very wealthy man. It showed humility. It showed desperation. He was so desperate that he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree. Remind me who climbs trees. Boys climb trees, not men, and especially wealthy men. You would never see a wealthy man run and climb a tree. But he was so desperate, it speaks to the desperation of the human heart. I want to be seen. I want to be seen. 
And so he's to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. Here's where I'm going to land today. You know what? The story says that he wanted to see Jesus. I think there's something else. I think he wanted to be seen of Jesus. Great, I saw, you know, I saw the president at a rally. Big deal. It's that he saw you and shook your hand. There's, there, we have uh, somebody in our midst that went to a, 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 a rally, and they yelled out like something, and, and uh, the president turned and said something directly to him. That's a big deal. You know what I mean? When we say, hey, I, I saw somebody, but to be seen by somebody is a big difference. It was 1974. I was a freshman in high school. A small group of us had a, had a rock band. It was called Half Moon. I don't know why. Just thought it was a good idea at the time. We got pretty popular in the city. We played for prom nights and all that stuff when you used to have live bands. 1974, we took a little trek. Uh, it was probably about an hour and a half, two hours from where my home city was in Virginia to the University of Virginia because there was a concert going on that night in the gymnasium with 1,500 and only 1,500 people. It was an upstart band. Maybe you've heard of them, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. They had just, just launched two years before, so by 74, they launched in 72. By 74, they weren't all that popular. It was 75 that they really hit it with a big hit, and then they were off to that. And we could say, we saw them when they were small. We got there early because one of the guys that was the lead guitar in our rock band, his name was Blake. Blake was a fanatic of this new upstart band. So we got there early, and we stood right at the stage. The stage was like this. It was an old gym. It had some old stage they put up, and we could touch the stage. We were first on the stage. You remember Clarence Clemens? He was the, the amazing saxophone player for Springsteen's band. And at one time, right in the middle of the concert, you know, we're going crazy and everything, and he starts coming down and giving high fives. It wasn't that we just saw them, they saw us. And we were going down, we were standing here, my friend, you know, here, here, and here, and Blake was to my right, and he was coming down, boom, 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 and I got the last high five, and Blake felt invisible. Doesn't it feel that way in this sense of life? That he got a high five, I didn't. And it's not enough just to, to see somebody. You, you really want to be seen. And this happens in the crowd. One of the reasons that we're talking about this is to measure the expectations of what's real on a Sunday morning what's real in a group, and what's real at a table for two. On a Sunday morning, you should be expected to be seen. And if you've been coming for a while and haven't been seen, we're sorry. Because we are imperfect. But it is our aim that someone here today doesn't walk out and they're not seen. It's a young couple in the corner this morning. <laughs> I came in, had a little extra time. And I could tell when I went over and said, how are you guys doing? It's like, oh, wow, somebody sees us, right? You have that feeling. Somebody sees us. 
Somebody in this room needs to be seen today in this crowd. It's something that you can do. We can't know each other on a Sunday morning. Come on. But realistically, realistically, you can. We end with this. Came the big moment. Big crowd. Jesus coming in. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. It changed this guy's life. And it started with a look. Nothing profound, right? It's not profound. He just looked. Somebody needs a look. Let me pray with you. Father, we are constantly stunned and amazed that you, being perfect, use us with our imperfections to demonstrate your qualities, to demonstrate your character, to, to, to show others what you're like. And even though we're flawed and imperfect, God, you can work through us and show your perfection through imperfection. So God, today we have landed in a place in your word that you've shown over and over that you are El Roy, the God who sees us, saw us before we were born. And that's a quality, God, that, that we've seen in the real experiences, the woman at the well, she was seen. Zacchaeus was seen. It changed his life. And so the opportunity, God, for significance and not success, it, it, there's an equal opportunity, God, to have the sense of being significant, to be seen. Someone in this room today must feel invisible, or at least short in, in significant stature like Zacchaeus. So desperate, they'd run in front of a crowd and climb a tree. God, would you confirm in them supernaturally, confirm in them by the power of the Holy Spirit, even now, while the word of God is still fresh, I see you. That from your heart, to theirs that they would sense right now that, that you see them. And I pray, God, for our church family that the people that walk through our door that just didn't come for a sermon or songs or maybe they came with somebody else will feel seen when they leave. Perhaps not known or maybe not even heard but they at least, they feel seen, acknowledged. I pray, God, for those who are searching for you. I pray, God, that, that even though like Adam, before we come to you, we hide and we don't want to be seen. And today you've proven, God, that through our hiding, you still see us. And the marvelous thing is that you still love us in all of our deepest imperfection and flaw. You still love us. It has nothing to do with religion. 
has nothing to do with ritual, has nothing to do with any of that, God. It has to do with our soul and you, God. I wonder, in, as we are here together this morning, who privately would say to God, I want to be seen by you, God, today. And I want my life to go in a different direction. And I want it to begin with Jesus. Even though I may not fully understand what that's about, there's something in me, God, that is driving me to you. I don't want religion. I don't want ritual, God. I want a relationship with you. I want a living, real, live relationship with you. I want you in my life. Now I'm going to come to Jesus, who's the only one that can forgive my sins because of what he did on the cross. I'm going to come to Jesus, and I'm I'm going to say these words. I'm going to, from my heart to yours, God. God, I want a fresh start. I want my sins forgiven and knowing, God, that you love me and knowing that Christ died on the cross, this is possible. So I'm going to trust right now. I'm going to trust in the sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross. I'm going to trust that for forgiveness and I'm going to believe, God, with all my heart. And I'm also, God, giving you my life ever how you might want to direct it because I'm weary I'm tired of directing my own life I want you to direct it God so I'm going to take my old life I'm going to slide it across the table and say God it's yours and I want your new life to come alive in me right now maybe that's your conversation with God God loves the language of raw you just pour your house. You, you run to your tree and you climb up in desperation. You say, God, I want you right now. Between you and God, I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you or do anything weird. You just, between you and God right now, I want you, God. I want you. Father, thank you that you are perfect in all of your ways. Thank you, God, that you love us. You see us that we are seen by others and that brings great significance to us. Father, we love you back today in our imperfection and our all flaws. We love you back and we worship you now. In the name of Jesus.